This is the 32nd anniversary of what's widely believed to be Canada's largest mass shooting, specifically targeting women. The shooting at Montreal's École Polytechnique taking place on December 6, 1989. A man opening fire, killing 14 women and injuring others. And very little has changed in many ways in terms of the threats to women. The pandemic only increasing the threat to women. And one term that you may hear a lot of today is femicide which refers to the sex and gender-related killings of women and girls. And my next guest says that the media doesn't necessarily do a very good job when it comes to talking about this issue. Dr. Jordan Fairbairn is an associate professor at King's University College at Western University in London. And welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. What, what in your estimation, is sometimes missing in media reports when we talk about femicide or domestic violence? Sure. So, um, you know, with, when we talk about femicide and domestic violence, we see media often portraying these events as a very individualized uh, event and often kind of a spontaneous crime of passion type event that seemingly occurs out of the blue. Um, where we know from research around here that when men kill their female partners, these femicides most often occur following a history of violence in more than 70% of cases, are often premeditated and are often more so crimes of control in terms of occurring, you know, following separation or a threat of separation. So within these individual circumstances where the victim and the perpetrator relationship is really what's being focused on, um, what's missing is seeing this broader community and broader societal context. So looking at these as, as events of violence against women, as human rights issues, as a public health crisis. Right. And, and as part of our coverage, and you know, I'm part of our, our TV coverage here on Global News as well, we do tend to focus on the personal stories because in, in many ways they, they resonate better with the audience. But I was interested in, in your writing that you talk about that there is also this almost victim blaming in there when we begin to focus in on you know, what possibly led up to this, that, that perhaps not intentional, but there is a sense of victim blaming there. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, you know, in focusing on kind of the isolated and individualized event and focusing on the victim behaviors, and this can be, you know, really explicitly or kind of more implicitly or more subtly, um, you know, almost looking to answer this question, well, what did she do? Or what was she doing? Or what was her lifestyle? And, and because we live in a culture that is in a society that is saturated with, you know, misogyny and sexism, and we have these structures historically, and all these myths around sexual violence and domestic violence, the way that these are often read and taken up is, is in that victim blaming sense. So it doesn't, you know, it, it, it can, but it doesn't necessarily come from a place of looking to do harm or to blame victims, right? But that is often the result, right? And because the because that is just one sort of frame or one way to understand these events, a more holistic or a more accurate picture of femicide and domestic violence actually really has to move beyond, you know, looking at the victim and the perpetrator and some of the, you know, often sensationalized details uh, of these of these femicides, of these events. Uh, what do you mean by um, missing white girl syndrome and how does the media contribute to it? 
So with missing white girl syndrome, um, this is a term, you know, a really powerful kind of concept that um, American news anchor Gwen Ifill is widely considered, I think, the originator of it. But we see it across many folks doing advocacy and scholarship around race, gender and media, um, you know, like my colleague Dr. Yasmin Jawani from Concordia, for example. And missing white girl syndrome is really underscoring the pattern where white and usually class privileged, you know, middle class, upper class victims receive copious amounts of media coverage, while we see missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, uh, Black women and girls, and other racialized women and girls being left out or excluded from this large scale societal attention. So they really sort of remain invisible in the coverage. And when we see this, this um, kind of round-the-clock coverage and the saturation around young women, there's sort of a, a bit of a damsel in distress almost type aspect to it. Uh, it will often focus on their roles as mothers, daughters, wives, and it, it almost sort of commodifies it in a way. It turns it into, you know, this product of, of kind of social outrage and fascination. Um, while at the same time, the deaths of other women become portrayed as almost sort of natural or inevitable, right? Those who might be, you know, not white, might be poor, precariously employed, for example. So it's seen as sort of something that just happens. And the fact that these deaths are preventable and should be prevented gets lost. A lot to think about, both for us who are in the media, who are putting these stories together, and also, I think, for the audience as well to, to keep in mind. Uh, as they watch the stories and, and think about it, especially on a day like today. Uh, Dr. Fairbairn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That is Dr. Jordan Fairbairn, who is the Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology at King's University College at Western University in London.